0: back, everybody, to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined tonight by Tommy, just a two-man podcast tonight. Tommy, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing okay. So, uh, one, we'll just launch right into one major topic about the Pistons lately. Uh, They've begun winning to a certain degree in, I believe, the month of February. I suddenly, uh, oddly enough, don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, they've, and January, late January, uh, they have won a certain number of games. So... Yeah, they
1: came into the All-Star break. They won that crucial game against the Celtics. I was happy about that one. Uh they've won a few games lately and it's 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 felt really different. I'm sure we're going to talk about that uh, because I know on this show uh, we're I think we're both fairly pro-tank, maybe me more than you, uh but we're yeah. not upset with losses. So Right. Yeah, it's it's been interesting.
0: Yeah. So Yeah, over the last uh, four games prior to tonight, we're recording this just after the game against the Wizards. And uh, the Pistons had won three of their previous four, uh, win against the Celtics, win against the Cavaliers, win against the Hornets. So I, I suppose uh, this segment is kind of going to be about how to enjoy wins while still loving the tank. And um, yeah, last season I've said this on the show many times. I mean, I, it got real stressful for me near the end of the season because I was so stressed about the team needing to lose. And that wasn't very enjoyable. I occasionally still feel that way, but it's worth noting that this team was not meant to be this bad. Uh, a lot of things went wrong. Like Jeremy Grant missed a long stretch. Kelly Owenick missed a long stretch. Uh, Sadiq Bey was a walking disaster for the first uh, you know, 25, 30% of the season. Uh, the, the team was shooting comically poorly for a long time. And Isaiah Stewart progressed. Uh, Jeremy Grant has had a, a bumpy road. So all sorts of things are happening. So in the context of these wins, it's worth keeping in mind that the team is not meant to be quite this bad.
1: Yeah, definitely. For me, it's it's really more a matter of, I want the team to protect its draft position, but if there's an opportunity for a win that just means a little more, I'm okay with it. I'm still a fan. Like when I'm watching the games, as much as I I come on here and I talk about how important the draft position is, I'll still get hyped for a good win. I'm happy to beat the Celtics. I'm happy to beat uh, Evan Mobley and the Cavs. It's, it's really just a matter of like, yeah, no, we can afford this win. We can afford this loss. And right now, as we're recording this right after the wizards game, we're actually tied with Orlando in terms of, record for worst in the league. Uh, so both teams are 15 and 47. And yeah, uh, in one sense, that's awful. But in a, another sense, like if we keep this up, we're guaranteed that top five pick in and in a draft where it's kind of, it's, it's not so great once you get past like seven or eight, uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. So even before that I'll take you, it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's really a two man draft at this point. I feel like you're, you're considerably higher on Jaden, Ivey than I am, but I kind of feel like it's Jabari Smith and then Chet, and then a significant drop off from there. But, uh, you know, the positive of that is that I would say the difference between three and five is not very significant. So that's minor solace. But, yeah, the Pistons, so playing better lately, uh, they put together a stretch also in early to mid-January of three wins in six games, and then they won one of their next 12. (laughs) And I, I think it's a little brutal on the players, I think it's it's a little bit taxing, even on a lot of uh, on a lot of fans. I'm just speaking for myself on um, on me. Even I'm I'm pretty pro tank, and but as I think you and I have both changed quite a bit in our perceptions. Like early last season, when Grant and Plumley were signed, we were both kind of pissed because it's like just go with the, you know just a 15 man roster of young players and lose every game. And uh, I don't think that's really the most productive way to go around go about it. And I think it's nice for a young roster to get some wins. It, it's, it's hard to lose constantly. And and I don't think that's the greatest thing for development.
1: Right. Yeah, no, if, if we had gone that route, 15 young players, it, it, we probably would have been processed Sixers bad. And, you know, it's it's easy to lose the locker room if you're just going to be losing by 30 every night. And I'm really happy, especially lately, even the losses that we've had, even tonight against uh, the Wizards, they've been close losses. And I mean, heartbreakers, well, some it's of them. like you lose. <laughs> yeah, some of them. Yes. Early on in the season. Yeah, we had some, some no. pretty unwatchable games
0: recently. Uh, so the Pistons against the Grizzlies and and the Hornets, this is on February 10th and 11, lost by a combined, I think, 57 points in those two games. I mean, they got <laughs> annihilated. Oh, yeah. actually, t- excuse me. You had the, the other game before that against Dallas. It was a combined 77 points or something like that in uh, over a three game span. So recently it's been more competitive. You know, of course, the wins against the Cavaliers and the Celtics—they they were really in the game. In the loss against the Celtics as well, and the loss against the Wizards, kind of um, a couple of weeks ago, and 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 on the one tonight, of course, the Pistons lost by one. So that's a good loss. Those are the losses yeah. you want.
1: Yeah, you're you're thinking about the losses so, last year, uh, right. where kind of down the stretch there was this perception of competitive losses. Where honestly, looking back at the final scores, I, it's not that they were super close every night, but I don't know, it just felt a lot more doable uh because it was a shorter season, much more hyped up draft class, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was just a lot a lot easier to deal with. This season it's been the whole time. We've one, we've had higher expectations because we had Cade. We expected more wins. Maybe uh we expected just more good things this season. Because we, we functionally brought back a lot of the same pieces and we added Cade and there was some more just time for everybody to gel and we've just been about as bad as last year. Uh, Maybe a little bit better and for a few different reasons. But Mm -hmm. yeah, no, it's uh, it's still about to me. It's still about watching the development that happens and uh, it's still happening uh, slowly. But, you know, over the that greater body of work, it's we're what 60 something games into the season. You're, You're starting to see it more.
0: 62. Actually, yeah. uh, we are really looking forward to this season, and uh, yeah, like you said, it hasn't been as expected. I think we we expected to see more positive signs, though that, that you know certain players have begun to come around lately. But uh, yeah, last season, I mean, the team was uh, the competitive losses primarily came in the early to mid season. I mean, down the stretch when the team was really trying to guarantee its draft position, there were a lot of bad losses, and I think we were kind of fine with that. I remember the last two games against the Nuggets and the Heat. I was so stressed out, like you know, I was calculating. Uh, you know, calculating the standings, like does it make and does it make sense for Jokic to play in this game, and in terms of where Denver wants to end up and the teams they're playing against, the answer was no. But Jokic is the man and wanted to play in every game, uh, so he played and the Pistons got destroyed. And uh, you know the Heat, is it going to make sense for Butler to play? I don't think he played. The Pistons got destroyed anyway, um, so a, a lot went right last year in that capacity. But yeah, one of the reasons the Pistons have seen a bit of an upswing lately, I believe, is Kelly Olinick coming back and actually playing well. And uh, I I know you've got a lot to say about that, Tommy.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's, tonight was a really good example of the kind of impact that Kelly O'Linick can bring. But yeah, you made the point that now he's looking better. He did start off pretty rough, but tonight it's really illustrated to me just how important spacing is, especially at the five. And it's not, it's not even just necessarily spacing, it's just. The difference between a guy like Kelly O'Linick running the pick and roll with Cade and Isaiah Stewart, I think recently Cade has been struggling, or there's a, he's looked worse. Uh, he's forcing a lot more mid-range pull-ups. It looks like he's just having a tougher time, and this is ignoring the, the fall trouble that's everybody's been talking about lately. Um, just in the pick and roll, when Cade and Isaiah Stewart run it, it just doesn't work most of the time, because I think teams have just been scouting us and scouting Isaiah Stewart, and they realize... Yeah, this guy doesn't really put a lot of pressure on the rim as a roll man because he's not going to go up for a lob. And if you just put two, if you put both both defenders on Cade Cunningham, he's going to have a really tough time getting it to Stewart because he can't throw it up and put it in for a lob, and he can't you know drop it off down low. So you're seeing a lot of these tough, tough pull ups, and uh, Cade is just really struggling with it. And then tonight. Uh, against the Wizards. At one point, Kelly Olynyk was plus 17 and Isaiah Stewart was minus 11. And the reason why is because Kelly Olynyk, with just a respectable jump shot, is opening up driving lanes for guys like Cade Cunningham, Jeremy Grant, and Sadiq Bey. Uh, in the final minute of the first half, Isaiah Stewart picks up a foul and they put Kelly Olynyk in. And Kelly Olenek, just just his presence alone, the next two plays were both dunks that just doesn't happen with Isaiah Stewart. So, I think that's really just that's been the biggest revelation for me in this game. Uh, I'd like to see more uh of Kelly Olynyk and Cade Cunningham sharing the floor.
0: Yeah, I agree. Stewart, we've said it before. let will say it again has has significant issues. I mean, the, the combination of being undersized and not a very vertical player is problematic. We saw it significant, you know, certainly on defense and to agree on offense tonight. Gafford is taller and Gafford is an excellent leaper and Stewart in certain situations is just helpless, particularly on defense When new Gafford just dunk over him. There's nothing Isaiah can do, you know, uh, you know, bless his soul, so to speak. Uh, Isaiah, he's a, he's a great, by all accounts, a great guy and he never takes a shift off. He's always working real hard though. At times this season, he seemed a little bit uh, demoralized, but yeah, his, his general role on offense, and this is on Dwayne Casey is to make a perimeter handoff and then go clog the paint. And it's resulted in a ton of three-second calls. That's that's the least of the problems of that situation. It's hard on everybody. It's hard on everybody who wants to drive into the interior. And you know, to a degree, it's the, the fact that he can't space the floor either is, is not ideal. I, my thoughts when he was drafted, Isaiah Stewart, to justify being drafted 16th, has to be able to do two things. He has to be able to switch on defense. He can do that. We're talking switching when he ends up on the perimeter and he can defend on the way on in. And the second thing is he has to be able to space the floor. And right now he he struggled with that early on. Casey has said he doesn't even want Isaiah doing it, which is kind of silly to me.
1: Yeah, I still think that so much of his utility, because the way he's effective down low, and he has looked better in a vacuum. Like he's he's averaging his 10 and 10 uh, over the past month or whatever. He's, he's looked better if you ignore his impact on other players. But I think that, it, it it's it hasn't changed for me. I, I said months ago that I think his best role would be as a low post center off the bench. You know, he's going to get a chance to bully uh inferior players compared to NBA starters and you're going to he's going to get his, you know, his quick 12 points in however many minutes and it's going to be a much better time for him and he's not going to be taking away so much from guys like Cade Cunningham, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bay because those guys are actually looking to drive inside and finish. And they just can't because the paint is clogged. It's like you said. So I just maybe down the stretch, uh, I don't know if they're looking to do this, but maybe you try to swap the two, uh, Kelly Olynyk and Isaiah Stewart. I know that we like Isaiah Stewart's defense. It's night and day uh, on that end. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I just think the offense looks so much better.
0: Yeah, the offense looks better. I mean, it, you always have to, for anybody on offense, any player whatsoever, you have to look at their overall impact. Uh, like, for example, you look at Rudy, Rudy Gobert on offense, like super high uh, efficiency paint scorer and then pretty darn good on the pick and roll. But the fact that he can't space the floor is a consideration because it's really nice to be able to space the floor. Any perimeter player who can't space the floor is a liability to a degree. Uh, Tamanu Diallo has that issue. I mean, players play off of him and when he gets the ball at the perimeter, he's going to make about 25% of his threes. Uh, Kylian, whom we'll talk about later is a non-spacing threat. I mean, th- these things aren't as evident on a bad team. Uh they're much more evidence when you look at a good team where none of these things, uh, they have no players who actually have, uh, who are spacing liabilities, except for Matisse Theibel. But at this point he's playing alongside so much talent that it doesn't really matter. That's when you can buck mm-hmm. the mold. Like the Warriors would field three shooters and, uh, but they're three of the best shooters of all time. Any, when you have an enormous amount of superstar talents, you can buck any meta. Uh, so at uh, Kelly is drastically better at breaking down defenses. You break down defenses, get them scrambling, you're going to get better opportunities. Also is a spacing threat, which means he draws the center out to the perimeter and that opens up lanes, whereas Isaiah Stewart closes lanes. So uh, yeah, Kelly, when he can shoot, great. That's high efficiency offense. Uh, He's great at pump faking and driving into the interior. That forces somebody to come help and that opens up somebody else. And Tommy, you love, uh, I know the gold standard for you is Eric Spilster's offense where you break down the defense and then you swing it around and swing it around and swing it around. And somebody gets an open three. Yep. Yeah. Uh, drive and kick. Drive and kick. And yeah, drive and kick and swing and swing and swing and swing. <laughs> and Spolstra, who should win coach of the year one of these years, he's a coaching genius. Uh, but it started his career coaching an enormously talented team. And I think that's really undercut uh, You know, the, the credit, prevented him from getting the credit he deserves. I don't think that Olenek will ever replace Stewart in the starting lineup. I think Dwayne Casey is not particularly flexible in any capacity. And I think he just likes Olenek off the bench, much like he liked Frank Jackson off the bench when Frank was playing well.
1: Sure. And, you know, it's, maybe it is sending a bad message to Stewart. If 20 games left, you're like, all right, you're going to come off the bench now. Kelly Olenek's going to take your spot. I get that. It's just that, you know, I I still don't think that Isaiah Stewart is the long-term solution at the five no, uh, at least as a starter, <laughs> rather. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just another consideration. We get to see what it looks like when somebody is playing the five who is capable of... It's not even, again, necessarily about being a spacing threat or a lob threat. It's just about clearing up the driving lanes and allowing guys to get inside. Because these guys want to attack, but they get stopped up 10, 15 feet away pretty consistently. And it's very, very frustrating.
0: Yeah, Definitely. I mean, there's there's a very good reason why traditional centers are, are drastically, drastically less common in the NBA than they used to be. And uh, for example, why the term stretch four no longer exists. You have to be able to shoot as power forward, uh, except in, in very unusual situations that involve an enormous amount of talent, like Giannis, for example, who still needs to be surrounded with four shooters in the playoffs in order to make it work. And just having... Uh, guys four or five guys in the floor who are able to shoot opens up so much it makes things so much harder on the defense mm-hmm. whereas having four guys in the floor uh, excuse me four shooters in the floor and a center who can't shoot presents certain challenges makes defense a lot uh, excuse me the offense a lot more predictable and when it's a guy who can't vertically space who can't catch lobs like stewart it gets that much easier so uh, yeah owenick has been good and one of the reasons the pistons were so bad was that owenick first was not with the roster And then he had a slow return from COVID. Excuse me, not not from COVID, uh, from his uh, his knee injury. Though I think he got COVID also. Uh, I believe he actually got it right after he returned, but I could be remembering wrong. Maybe that was Jeremy. Yeah, it was right
1: on the tail end of that recovery.
0: Yeah. So um, it it should be interesting to see how things go, but uh, definitely he adds a different dimension and also his firepower off a bench, which uh, often kind of has its struggles, though actually has been fairly good across the course of the season. But some of that was Trey Lyles, who isn't with the team anymore. Had a great game for Sacramento recently. Josh Jackson has played five minutes since he uh, since he made it to Sacramento, uh, but it's been rightly pointed out that he was not good with the Pistons and has a lot of problems. You know, hard worker, but again, lack of he is not a spacing threat. So, and he comes with the opportunity cost of being ball dominant and making bad decisions too. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that is those guys. So uh, moving on to another bright spot because Kelly has been one and, uh, kudos to Kelly for that, uh, for that overtime win. That was, that was fun to see.
1: Oh yeah, no, that was ridiculous. I can't believe we finally broke that winning or that losing streak. Yeah. That I was remember. another one. Very happy to win that game.
0: Yeah. I remember it uh, very vividly. The last time the Pistons had beaten the Hornets. So uh, the Pistons, the 2017, 2018 Pistons, uh, the opening night roster was still the best one that the Pistons have fielded since 2008. Um, which Chauncey played like four games for the Pistons before he was traded. And uh, there was that opening night game. Stanley Johnson went like zero of 13, but was was really good aside from his shooting. And uh, that was early on in that season. That was the 14 and six start when the Pistons really played a lot of good teams. Avery Bradley was punching enormously above his weight. Tobias was punching above his weight. Uh, Reggie Jackson was punching above what his weight was at that point. And and the new offense was still fresh and uh, the wheels fell off of everything. But yeah, I vividly remember that. That was still an exciting, uh, an exciting time. That win against the Warriors is still, um, I I think, and against the Celtics are two of the greatest wins the Pistons have logged in like the last 10 years. Yep. So uh, yeah. So in any case, yeah, moving on to another bright spot, Sadiq Bey. uh, We just have a lot of good things to say about Sadiq in general lately, uh, especially after his rough start.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's finally taking the right shots, I think, and consistently making them. I have his stats here over his last five games. Uh, 17.6 points, th- almost 39% on threes, on uh, almost seven a- attempts per game. And it's just, it's encouraging. I said almost seven attempts, over seven attempts per game from distance. So it's incredibly encouraging. And the thing that I think has impressed me the most has uh, been the way he's been taking it inside and finishing with strength. You know, we, I think you mentioned this when, uh right after you had gone and gotten pretty good seats and seen these guys in person, just how big they are. I think you noted just how, enormous Sadiq Bey is. The guy is built like an ox and he yeah. is taking full advantage of his strength. He doesn't have the most in the way of a, a burst in terms of a first step, but it doesn't matter. He's just kind of muscling his way into these guys and he gets, he gets them on their heels and they don't have enough uh, to stop him. And he's just taking it all the way and he's not finishing with uh, hops. He's just bulldozing his way in and finishing uh, some tough layups, but going in and yeah, no, and they, they look good.
0: Yeah, he's doing a lot right at this point, whereas earlier in the season he was doing a lot wrong. Uh, I think he was just put into a very bad situation by the coaching staff. So what's Sadiq's been bringing to the floor? I mean, he just he brings a lot of assets. He can shoot threes in people's faces. That's a very nice skill to have, like a, a very, very nice skill to have. Uh, he's been doing some pull-up shooting from three as mixed results, but that's an excellent skill to have. He's initiating a lot of offense from within the arc in two particular ways. He'll grab the ball relatively close to the basket where speed is much less of a factor, excuse me, yeah, where speed is much less than the factor of a factor, and and Sadiq is not a a bursty player by any means. So the speed is a lot less of a factor because you're not worrying about defenders just getting in front of you or guys coming to help. Uh, He can use his strength to his advantage, kind of bull his way toward the basket. He's been making the right read for the most part and making the right pass rather than trying to force things. Uh, something that he's been doing that's interesting on offense uh, is kind of like the Carmelo shot where he jab steps a little bit and just sizes up the defender and then takes kind of a fadeaway mid-range shot, which he's doing decently well on. But also his reads, Sadiq's a smart guy. Uh, his reads are very good. Like tonight, there was one play in which he caught the ball on the perimeter. He he was able to analyze the situation very quickly. He realized that he was uh, up against Kispert, who was not a quick defender, and he had a few feet of space. And he just, he beat Kisper to the outside right away um, without hesitation. He just took the ball right around him and, and had a relatively open layup. So uh, he's just been doing a lot of things, right? I don't think on a team with more talent, he's going to be scoring this much, uh, but we both said it. If he's the fourth best guy in a championship team, that's an excellent player. That's like a me called bridges hmm
1: Yeah. This is the, fir- the, I want to say the Boston game was the first time where I felt like it might've been the Charlotte game. It was the first time I thought he might be a third option on a good team. And then, I kind of reevaluated it like a day later after I'd kind of come down. I was like, it's, it's probably still a fourth option, but he's, he's again, he's still impressing me and he's making these rapid improvements. And he's, he's got a lot of responsibility right now, because again, this is a team that is pretty devoid of talent. Uh, there's just a few guys who get a lot of attention and uh, and report and Sadiq Bay is certainly one of them. And he's still knocking down these difficult, difficult shots that you're, you talked about being able to knock down shots in guys' faces, uh, you think about that game winner he had against the Spurs earlier this season, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you think about there's one shot from uh, against Boston where he knocked one down in Tatum's face with a hand up, and it's just such an impressive shot. You know, he, he has such a quick, compact release, and it, it doesn't matter. He doesn't get that much elevation on his threes, uh, but they're going in anyway. Uh, just a phenomenal showing from Sadiq Bay lately, and I hope he can keep it up down the stretch, and I hope he uh, continues to make his progress uh, as a as a like a bully ball player on the interior because he just has that level of strength. Uh, do you feel like he could maybe be like a long-term power forward or do you think he's just, he doesn't have enough bounce for that?
0: I don't think it really matters. I mean, if you have uh, like a, a small forward who can jump, for example, like uh, the forward positions are pretty interchangeable at this point for a lot of players. Uh, it's not uh, like, like the NBA actually for a little while, uh, kind of uh, like you had a lot of, guys who could flex between center and power forward. And then you kind of, uh, for a few years, it was basically, d- you didn't really have many of those guys. Uh, it was mostly just centers and and forwards who could play at either forward position. And you've swung back a little bit to, to some power forwards who can play center. And I think Sadiq Bey may have some future as a small ball center, just because he he can hang physically with a good amount of the centers in the league. There is no way that Sadiq Bay is 210 pounds. I mean, this guy's, that's what he's listed at, or 205. I don't remember. This guy's at least 215, 220. So... He's yoked. uh, What'd you say?
1: He's yoked. He's
0: jacked. Yeah. Ridiculously strong. Yeah, he's really strong. It's true. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if that's a particularly important distinction. Uh, I mean, one, I I think small forward in some ways is is a good position for him because he is facing off against slightly smaller guys you know, versus the guys who just uh, exclusively play at power forward. But, uh, and and also, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not quick enough to beat like, the slower power forwards off the dribble. So I think he could really play at either one. I don't think it really matters. He's been playing back at small forward with Jeremy Grant back, and he's done pretty well. But it depends on, on whom you're on the floor with also uh, as far as rebounding. Like uh, Hamadou can really get up and he can get back to the basket really quickly. So that might be less important.
1: Yeah. As long as he keeps knocking down these threes and forcing these really, really honest closeouts, he's going to be able to take advantage of that, put his shoulder into guys and just take them all the way to the hoop. It's something Christian would used to do. He was a decent three point shooter and he loved to be the guy who initiated contact on closeouts by, you know, just put your shoulder into the guy, get him leaning, get him off balance and then just take it all the way to the hoop. Sadiq yeah. doesn't have, Like I don't think on straight line drives uh, with the defender on his hip, I don't think he has the dunk, but he can he can lay it up and finish it in.
0: Uh, Just sort of, I mean, I don't think he straight line drives very much. I think straight line drives are 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 really a weakness for him. He tends to curl and and end up on the opposite side of the basket, for you know, for to still curl from one, uh, you know, generally from uh, the left side and and end up uh, putting up a layup from the right. Uh, the straight line drives, I think it's too easy for guys to keep up with him, or too easy for guys to to end up in front of him. But I've been very impressed on how he's adjusted to play toward his strengths and force a lot less offense. He still sometimes ends up, uh, as George Blaha would put it, you know, caught among the tree, caught amongst the trees. I, I think that sort yeah. of refers to bigger guys, but it's basically a situation in which he's got uh, a bunch of guys around him, and a bunch of defenders around him, and he doesn't have, he's not able to elevate. And he, and he takes a bad shot. There's still some shots I'd like to see removed from his repertoire. And who knows if that mid-range pull-up will ever really come along. Uh, what I don't like from him is the floaters. Uh, he's, he's just not good at the floaters. I don't think this is a shot he should be taking. But it's nice that he can attract attention on the way to the basket. Uh, he makes, he's makes he been making the right pass much more than he was earlier in the season. And uh, he can make passes out of the post as well. So uh, I've been impressed. Also, just a great team guy. Like, unequivocally a great team guy. So... Yeah. That's been fun to see, and but yeah, I would say third option on a championship team is a star, is a star player, like uh, pretty much unequivocally. If you got two superstars, then this can be a slightly worse player. Um, it will still be a if if Sadiq can be like a sixteen point per game score uh, and uh, shooting threes on high volume, particularly difficult threes, and creating some offense off the dribble while playing good defense, that's a really good player.
1: Yeah, it's definitely one that you want to have around, and depending on who you get in the draft this year. He, he his responsibilities go down, and you can just focus on, you know, feeding him those those higher efficiency 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 shots. Part of me, and uh, just focus on his strengths. I think right now you're still asking a lot of him, and he has cut out some of the really difficult offense that he was struggling with early on in the year. And I think that's a big reason why his stats and percentages has have improved. But uh, overall, I mean, if you just you, you want that guy on your team, and absolutely, Sidibe, I mean, his improvement phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good to see. And that's what we were hoping for him. Uh, and we didn't really, we haven't really seen that progress from Isaiah. And we, because I figured Isaiah would be coming in and doing what he did last season, which is uh, which is just attracting gravity in that you can't leave him open from mid-range. Like you have to cover him closely from mid-range, which spaces, it certainly spaces the floor in its own way, or he's going to shoot. And if you're hitting like uh, 50% from mid-range, uh, that's great. I, I want to make this point. So they are average in the averages in the NBA. I think 53% effective field goal percentage is the average right now. And like 56% for shooting something like that. Maybe it's 52% effective field goal percentage. It should be noted that that includes transition. Transition is very high efficiency offense. I think teams average well, well over one point uh, per possession. Uh, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's very high efficiency offense. The average right now in half court offense, I believe is 0.96 points per possession. If you're shooting 50% from mid-range, that's a very efficient shot. It's only equivalent to, you know, like 33% from three. But if you can create that shot, it's a very nice one to have in your tool bag. So I figured he'd be shooting those shots, he'd be shooting threes, and that's what he needs to do to be a productive defensive, offensive player. I think Casey's notion that, you know, we can just focus on the inside and and get him good there is kind of a pipe dream uh, because I don't think Isaiah is ever going to be a, a net positive offensive player until he can shoot. Uh, another guy who has uh, been, of course, the biggest disappointment from that draft class, unless you include Saban Lee and that the expectations for him are very low, is Killian Hayes. So Killian Hayes has his strong suits, great basketball IQ, great passing vision. He's a really good passer. He's a very good defender in certain situations. So let's talk about what needs to change with Killian in order for him to become a, you know, a decent, a positive value NBA
1: player yeah I mean, we all know what the the biggest problem is, and it's it's still the shooting you I, i've I've talked a lot about how I think the confidence is a problem, and I still think it is to a certain degree uh but off the bench i I actually think he he's looked a lot well a lot no, I think he's looked better I think he's looked more aggressive, but again, just going looking at the shooting splits so uh for his second year, he has played forty nine games he's getting close to that full season. Uh, that everybody's talking about. And he is at 26.3% on threes, two and a half attempts per game. And that is just way below uh, a respectable number where people are going to guard you honestly. And until he gets his three ball up to just an acceptable percentage, he's going to be a massive spacing liability. And then somebody else, his man is going to go and double team somebody because he's not going to attack and he's not going to put pressure on the rim and he's not spacing the ball. So anytime he's on the floor, if the ball is not in his hands, He's an enormous negative, and if the ball is in his hands, you're kind of counting on the passing and you're hoping that he can get to the basket and penetrate and kick out because that's where he's at his best. But even that has not really happened. Uh, he still struggles to get all the way to the hole. Again, I think that he's been making slight improvements for the past few months. I think people are starting to notice that now, but it hasn't yet converted itself into uh, useful statistical improvement. I would say I still he's, think he's yeah. it's it's just like he's getting closer. He's like halfway there. but uh, He's still not finishing strong. Yeah, he's he's still at significant
0: minus. It's worth noting that his two point percentage is about 42%, which is egregiously bad, <laughs> like incredibly <laughs> bad. So, yeah, Killian, I mean, we're far past the point in the NBA in which a non shooter who's just handling the ball can can be a, a positive player. I mean, again, there's some exceptions to this, like star level talents, Jimmy Butler, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And and so on. There are not many of them, but here's how I like to think about player value. So you have player contribution minus opportunity cost. Uh, Opportunity cost can be, uh, you know, we've got this guy out there in place of a better player who would be contributing more, but also like you know this guy, you put him out there in space and becomes an issue. Uh, Efficient offense becomes an issue because he can't shoot threes and he's a bad scorer. Uh, The ability to break down defenses becomes an issue because he's really not good at that. Uh, Killian comes with a very substantial opportunity cost uh, and it it is not opportunity cost is not nearly as apparent on a bad team because you know it's it's a bad team i mean if if you if it's a good team and you put a guy like that like that out there he will stick out like an absolute sore thumb and you know if he can be re- at all if there's any possibility of replacing him he will be replaced so yeah, like you said the three point shooting has to come along. Uh, but there's more to it than that. He has to be able to break down opposing defenses reliably, and he still doesn't, like you said, he doesn't make it to the rim. Uh, He still shies off to the left uh, or to the right occasionally. He's getting better with his right hand and and takes a much lower percentage shot, uh, on which getting fouled is much less likely. And it's very nice to draw fouls, Uh, high percentage offense. um, It's foul against the other team and, and so on. So it's, it's been said, you know, if Killian could just shoot threes on high volume at a high percentage, then he could be Alonzo like player. And I agree. That might keep him in the NBA though. It's worth noting that Alonzo like player needs to be in the right situation with really good creators next to him. who free him from the need to do anything, but make perimeter passes, playmaking transition and shoot threes. So Killian's never going to achieve his full potential on this team because he's just not the number one handler. Like we thought he'd come in as a pick and heavy pick and roll heavy guy. Um, and he's a terrible pick and roll guard and he's just, he's not good at, at breaking down defenses at all. And like, you remember Tommy, when, when we were talking about, it, it's like, uh, my opinion was that he could become like, you know, eighth, ninth, the best point guard in the league. If he could shoot step back threes, if, if he had a, a good pull at mid range game. And if he were canny enough to, to get to the basket, despite his lack of, you know, his his very below average NBA athleticism, but he's done zero of those things.
1: Yeah, I remember that. I uh, in the pre-draft process, I was like, okay, well, if he can bring this this step back three along, maybe he can be good. I was never particularly excited about him, but gosh, he just didn't bring any any of it. So, yeah, I'll still I, I'm still happy that he's showing some improvement. I'm happy that they're bringing him off the bench now. Uh, I did not like his fit with Kate. I was never a big fan of that pairing. A lot of terrible, people terrible terrible liked pairing. that idea. Uh, maybe still for the defensive potential. Cause I mean, they're still both good defensive players, but it's just not worth it. Like, especially on the offensive end. And you talk, we just talked about how much um, Isaiah Stewart inadvertently hurts the team uh, just by what he's not doing on the floor. Killian Hayes, he's doing the same thing, but on the perimeter, it's an, I'm not going to say it's a more direct um, detriment to Cade because Isaiah Stewart, what he, the, the problems there are pretty bad, but, you know, it's 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 really bad in its own way. Like I, I still think that when this team is ready to compete, or if they were trying to compete, uh, Frank Jackson would be the ideal fit. Yes. But I, I think that what uh, Corey Joseph is doing is it's still significantly more useful. I know people don't like Corey Joseph, but at least Corey Joseph is shooting the ball fairly well and Not fairly well. some of the pressure. Off, yeah.
0: He's shooting the ball very well. I mean, uh, Corey Joseph, uh, minus tonight's performance, and I don't know how this would affect his stats, is about 42.5% on threes. It's low volume, but he's been very reliable on catch and shoots, like very reliable on catch and shoots. And he also just does the things, uh, exclusively the things that the team needs of him. He is an excellent team player. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, James Edwards, who was on the show last week, said that the, the team wants him out there because they don't want to exhaust Cade by having him be the the primary you know heavy usage ball handler at all times, and uh, I'm coming around to the idea that you want a guy next to Cade who can take some of the uh, the, the onus and the handling off of him. I don't want Brunson, but uh, I think you want <laughs> you want somebody, and uh, like uh, you know even Dave for Giannis, and, uh, no, uh, even for Giannis, <laughs> like uh, Giannis and Tedikumbo for example, he's got Middleton who can create, who's an excellent shot creator, who can create offense off the dribble. And uh, you have Drew Holiday, of course, who, who can create his share of offense off the dribble as well. And these are good things because Budenholzer is an offensive simpleton. <laughs> yeah. It's like in the finals or in the playoffs in general, he needed one of three things. He needed one of his players to have an absolutely massive game. That was going to have to be honest. He needed two of his players to have very good, the, two of his uh, his primary, those three, to have very good games, or he needed all three to have pretty good games. Uh, but I digress. Um, yeah, it, it's just... With Killian, obviously, the three-point shot is your first step because you just have to have it. But in order for him to really capitalize on his potential enough to be a positive NBA player, he has to be able to drive into the interior and and, and score at the rim at a decent clip. And if he can develop that mid-range game, great. He's been ab- abominably bad at it so far, which is bizarre because he was actually a, a, a pretty... He scored close to one point per possession on, on mid-range pull-ups in Europe. I don't know where his shot has gone, but... He just, yeah, there's a lot he needs to do well because athleticism, being a highly athletic player, isn't going to guarantee you success in the NBA, of course, but it is a high ceiling. It is a very good ceiling raiser. It's also a high floor raiser. If you are a guard in particular and you are not very athletic, you need to do a lot more well in order to be a positive NBA player than does a guy who is just highly athletic. Like Hamadou could be a very good offensive player just because he can he can blaze to the basket. If he could shoot threes, he'd be a very good offensive player. Killian needs to do a lot more to make himself useful and also to capitalize on arguably his greatest strength, which is his court vision and passing. So I know we both feel this way. You give him more time. I don't see any reason not to give him the full four years and they have to make that decision before next season on his fourth year option. And I, I guess uh, my guess is they'll pick it up and that would make perfect sense to do.
1: Do you think they trade him before the, uh, before the end of that fourth year?
0: Uh, only if he's accrued some value. I mean, it's it's absolutely not worthwhile <laughs> to, to to sell as low as he would be sold right now. Killian Hayes right now has reclamation value, uh, reclamation project value. He's such an ineffective guard at the moment, and and he's a he's such a bad shooter. He just he doesn't do anything well. Uh, like the passing, yeah, he's a good passer, but he can't capitalize on that until he can break down defenses. And uh, on defense, he has some biomechanics to work on. Uh, he's a good defender against guys who aren't too quick for him, but there are some players, a lot of players, especially guards who are too quick for him. And I think his first step is really significantly impaired by the fact that he stands upright and and that really decreases his ability to accelerate around screens or wherever else. Because even against bigger forwards, uh, he does a decent job because he's got, like this guy in 2K would have like the active hands badge because <laughs> he's very good at stripping the ball. But against really quick guards, he struggles and that's a problem. But uh, maybe, maybe that can be fixed as well. Whatever the yeah. case, this this is a rebuild and you give them time.
1: Speaking of active hands, just really quickly, Cade, the fouls. <laughs> what do yeah. you think?
0: Uh, it's a problem. I think Dwayne Casey put it well that Cade is going for the ball with his hands. And that's a very good way to accrue a lot of fouls. I mean, you really want to be, uh, for the most part, just relying on your feet and having your arms wide or having your arms up. And in the, uh, in, in the proper situations, it's just the speed of the NBA and in the talent level, if you're reaching in a lot for most players, you're going to get a lot of fouls and, and he knows yeah. it, uh, he knows yeah. it's not letting him stay on the floor. And I think it's just a matter of awareness.
1: Yeah. I'm surprised that this has become a problem now because to start the year, he was a really good defender on all fronts. And I still think he is. Um, It it was really, you know, I forget which broadcast it was. It might've been the Charlotte broadcast talking about how he's actually not a good defender. They don't know what they're talking about. Like he's a very high IQ defender effective, but his brand of defense is not, you know, blocking a ton of shots, getting his hands in there, going for strips and gambling. It's altering shots through position. Like that's what he likes to do. And the refs I've seen two changes with the foul calls, like two uh, contributors. The primary one is definitely like, swiping at the ball. The other one is that the refs are calling a lot more of those, you know, Cade gets in a guy's way and just uses his body and tries to make the shot more difficult or make them shoot around him. And they're calling that a little bit more. Not sure sure. why. I hope not because I like that brand of defense.
0: The officiating is uh, started out the year. They, they were calling a lot less fouls. And uh, I think I, I didn't talk to anybody at all. I didn't see any, anybody at all in any medium who didn't like that. (laughs) I
1: yeah, guess. I don't know what yeah. happened there. It was it was so nice to start the year. Like they just weren't calling it when it, it, it the flops, the guy the, the plays where guys are just hunting for contact. I loved it when they stopped calling that. Don't reward that.
0: Yeah, you know, don't it's not good it. for
1: the game, it's not entertaining. I don't know yeah. why they switched up like twenty games in.
0: I don't know. I mean, it's it, there's been a, a lot of parading to the foul line, and that's that's just not entertaining. I don't think it's good basketball. As far as K being a really good defender, I know that, I agree that he's a smart defender and a good on-ball defender. Uh, he does get caught ball-watching sometimes and ends up out of position and gives up threes. I think that's his greatest weakness at, on, on defense right now. But uh, speaking of guys who draw fouls, uh, let's do a little around the NBA talk. We do this very little on the show. It's, of course, a very Pistons-centric uh, podcast, as it should be. Uh, let's talk about where guys are in the MVP race. Now, if, right, if you're yeah. to- honestly, this is
1: all you, man. You watch a lot more <laughs> NBA basketball than me, and I, I mean, why don't you lay down uh, Who who's like the top three candidates?
0: So uh, I've got to say, my number one would be Joel Embiid. Number two is going to be Nikola Jokic. Number three, Demarta Rosen. And uh, honorable mention to John Morant. Uh, Morant has just made such a step forward this year. I love the guy. He's a super hard worker, he's a real competitor. Uh, he's smart. He plays for his team. He's like Westbrook would be if Westbrook were less of a stat pattern, much more of a team player, and have much more IQ, and yeah. we're much more versatile. Uh, Morant the three better. Yeah, uh, Morant's his, his three-point percentage was pretty good earlier in the season. I was like, dude, the guy's hitting like uh, like 36% on four threes per game. He's going to be completely unguardable. That's gone down, but he's still. Oh, yeah, he's still mostly been completely unguardable. The guy is freakishly athletic, like unbelievably athletic. Uh, like not just in his burst and his weeping, but his ability to contort his body, and uh, he's got a great floater game. He's, he's excellent at the rim, so it's just it's it's a pleasure to watch him, and he's such a likable guy. Now, uh, Demar Derozan came out of nowhere. Like uh, before the season, I was like, okay, you put him with Levine. You're just smashing talent together for the sake of doing it. These two players are going to make each other worse. But DeRozan has been incredibly good at creating offense off the dribble, particularly from mid-range. Like he's shooting upwards of 50% on like 10 attempts per game. Uh, Billy Donovan, I don't think highly of him as a coach, but he can just give the ball to DeRozan and say, do something with it, uh, which is much what Casey did back in the day. Uh, and, And DeRozan will do something with it. I mean, he's been excellent at that. And he's been the best player on a very good. What's been a very good uh, Bulls team? Jokic is Jokic. Uh, the guy is the best passing big man of all time. He's like basketball. The strategy of basketball, like the strategy of chess, <laughs> you want to give your opponent nothing but bad options. And Jokic is is excellent at doing that. Like um, he'll post up on you. You can't double team him because he will find anybody on the court even with his back turned he'll find guys in the corner you know find guys in the corners he had this ridiculous seeing eye pass in the recent game against portland he wasn't even looking and he passed from uh the uh, the low block to the opposite corner and it was right on it was very close to right on target uh, unfortunately it was monte morris missed the shot but it was an incredible pass uh, like sometimes it's like the guy opens up a singularity and he's like got three guys on him and suddenly the ball is, is right in the shooting pocket of a guy like 20 feet away. Uh, yeah, so he's, and, and if you don't double him, he'll just bully you in the post. Like uh, when I was at that game against the Nuggets, like I say, Stewart is muscles on top of muscles, and Jokic was pushing him around. So he's a great player. He's also a good three point shooter to add to that. He's a decent mid range shooter, I believe, though I could be wrong about that. Uh, where he's not very strong is defense. He's nowhere near the liability he used to be but he's he's not a strong defender. And that's why I give the nod to Embiid. The Sixers get a bad rep because they play in Philadelphia. (laughs) But uh, Embiid is a fantastically talented player. Uh, He is one of the best scoring big men of all time. He can score in almost every which way. Uh, He's become more of a passer this season. He's had to do it because because Simmons was out and Simmons is gone now. Uh, he can score from the post. He can score on mid-range pull-ups. He can score from three. He's an uh, he's an extremely strong scorer in the interior. I mean, from the post, this guy is, there's nobody even remotely close to him in the league. And, uh, but just in general, I mean, uh, there's no real way to stop the guy. And he's also a major plus on defense. So uh, he just does everything well. And I'm, I'm really, I'm not a huge Harden fan because I don't really like the way he plays. You can't deny that he's an incredibly talented, but he can, you know, he's, he's really going to help Embiid. So he's my number one right now. And I really think he deserves to win it. Uh, I think he's been very underappreciated for a long time. And it's been ignored that he really had to alter his game to accommodate Simmons, <laughs> which is a very bad thing. Uh, also just hard, incredibly hard work on a team guy. So, all right, moving on. Listener submitted questions. So uh, number one, uh, one thing I'm very interested in Does how uh, handle the ball well enough to start with Cade? Obviously, his three point shooting has to improve his start next season, but it's a worthwhile experiment. Now, you mind if I take the lead on this one? I'm such yeah, a I was going to say it's all you.
1: This is this is right up your alley.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, in the name of having a, a good handler or a decent handler next to Cade, I think the answer is no. So, I know this is a change in tune. Uh, we really appreciate having James Edwards on the show. I really, of course, he has much greater. Uh, he has some insights into the uh, to what the organization's goals and and the reasons behind his uh, their decisions that uh, that that we don't of course and his insight on what by Corey but basically Kate is almost invariably out there with another handler was uh, I, I found very illuminating. So Hamadou is not a great handler. He's great at attacking the basket. Uh, he is he can make bounce passes like reads on bounce passes. He's good at that. In terms of kickouts, he's really not there yet. Uh, his just his vision. I, I'm not, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll find out that uh, that he's a high IQ passer, but at this point, he's not there yet. If you give him the ball, he's going to try to just drive in there. And it's a credit to him that even though defenders play off of him, he's still very difficult to stop. And uh, I think Hamadou, who can shoot, is a 20-point-per-game player who should be the starting shooting guard in the future. But even then, I would say you want somebody who can take the handling onus off of Cade. So uh, right now, I would say... Just for for Cade's sake, probably not.
1: Yeah, no. This is a point that you've made pretty consistently over the season. Uh, it, it's exactly what you said. If Amadou could shoot the three ball on just average percentage, uh, he would be. They'd have to close out on him, and he could attack all day. And then you're um, done. You're absolutely yeah, done if you have to if you have I to said, close Amadou, out on him. Yeah, you're finished. Exactly. Dude has <laughs> jet boosters on his back, but I think the, the better role. I, I agree with you. Uh, by the way, just I don't think he's a good fit next to Cade. Uh, I think Not he's right at his best when the ball is yet yeah, right now. He the, he's at his best when the ball is in his hands. I think if you want to keep Hamadou long term, his best use if you can keep him on a reasonable contract, uh try to pair a decent big with him, be it a power forward or a center off the bench. Uh two guys who can run pick and rolls. I think your idea to give the ball to Hamadou and just run a bunch of pick and rolls and see if he can make it all the way to the rim with uh, some screening action is a good idea. And I think it's more effective off the bench. Uh, Because, again, bench competition is different from starters, and you're going to be able to take more advantage of the reduced athleticism, especially if you're Hamadou Diallo. Uh, But no, uh, as far as Hamadou and Cade, I know people want to see Hamadou start just because he's fun to watch and he's scoring all these points. But from a fit perspective, I don't like it. I think Cade, uh, he does need somebody who can take the ball out of his hands a little bit just for the sake of... Uh, balancing out the attack and so that's just not all on Cade but even more important than that I think you need maximum spacing around Cade so that he can get into the lane and do what he, what he wants to do on uh, Hamadou yeah. unfortunately he just doesn't do that for a team
0: Well, oh, not right now not right now he doesn't I think that if Hamadou can shoot can be like a 37 percent three-point shooter I don't think you can keep him out of the starting lineup uh, because he'd be such an asset as a scorer so uh All right, moving on. I realize we haven't done the ad yet, and for the sake of making this episode drastically easier for me to edit, (laughs) I'm going to do that right now. we still got a few more questions. Uh, So uh, this is our sponsor, of course, is DraftKings. So uh, the official sports betting partner of the NBA, new customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum agent location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware prohibited, minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. All right, next question. Uh, After his initial slow couple of games, how do you feel Cade's development has been uh, to add to this areas he has slash has not improved?
1: Uh, We've been talking about Cade pretty consistently all throughout the season. I think the biggest thing that I wanted to see uh, when he came in was would the shooting continue to translate. And he's been up and down there as well. Uh, Obviously, the jump shot looks super pretty. But over the past few games, I think he's been struggling on his threes. I'm not worried about it. But functionally, he has one good season before this as a three-point shooter. He did not shoot the ball. Uh, super well from distance when he was in high school. His lone season at Oklahoma State, he shot 40%. That was like the one thing that a lot of people were trying to keep their eye on. So it's he's shown enough this season to convince me that he's a good shooter. The form looks nice. He's able to stop and pop with great balance. And I think he's able to get the shot off really, really well. Um, again, going back to the Isaiah Stewart thing, as far as like the rest of his game, I just don't feel like you're going to unlock so much of what he can do until you allow him to, one, play with decent floor spacing so that he's not hounded and blitzed by two to three guys almost every possession, and two, uh, you want to open up driving lanes so he can get to the basket. Um, it's, it's really that simple. Like He's just so limited by his teammates right now, unfortunately, and it's a big thing that comes up with the uh, the rookie of the year discussion, uh, the way that uh, Cade is perceived as a lesser player because of maybe his stats or his team record, and then a guy like Mobley who, again, I think he's been great. I was totally wrong about him. Question about that later. But I still think Cade is the better player. In a redraft, Cade does not go anywhere but number one. He is still the most impactful best player in this draft class, bar none. And I just, I don't see it any other way. Like I think he's going to get better and better because so much of his game is just based on IQ. And, you know, that that age as well. I think he can have like a Chris Paul type career where he's going to be impactful for a long time. Just because he's going to be able to manipulate defenses with, you know, Body control, shooting, lookaways, any manner of of this bigger and bigger bag of tricks that is going to keep expanding as he gets uh, older and older. So again, the shooting is what I was worried about this season. That's come along. He's shot it well enough over considerable stretches for me to be convinced that it's there. That's all I see right now. I don't think you're getting the full, uh, I don't know how you want to say it, the full Cade Cunningham experience until you put the right people around him. So I'm not really worried about that right now.
0: So I would say, I'll preface my answer by saying that a lot of handlers hit the rookie wall. Uh, I mean, being a high possession handler in the NBA, there's a lot of adjustments to be done uh, versus the level of competition these players have faced in the lower leagues, in the NCAA, some of them in G League Ignite, some of them in Europe. The NBA is incre- an incredibly competitive league. I mean, it, it is a game in which the margins are inches, like often, sometimes literally. So uh, adjustment can be a thing. So Cade has not improved in terms of his turnovers. He is still turning the ball over a lot. I think a lot. So some of that is just the speed of the game at Oklahoma State. Some of it was he had no spacing and just had to force a lot of stuff. In the NBA, it's that he makes a fair number of passes that are just never going to cut it in the NBA. I mean, the, the op- opposing defenses are too good. Guys are too quick. So he has not improved in that capacity he has certainly improved at attacking the basket that's been a pleasant surprise there were some concerns about his burst his ability to reach the basket he's doing much better at that uh he's got like he makes some difficult shots like that hook shot he makes from like three feet to the side of the basket you saw him make yeah. that in uh, in the rising stars challenge he he can do that in the NBA as well i think he's really improved as a mid-range shooter Uh, So mid-range shooting, most guys cannot do it at anything like an efficient level. If you can do it, fantastic. Uh, It's it's an extra way for you to create offense. It makes you that much more dangerous on the pick and roll. For those of you who remember Kennard a couple of years ago, uh, he was an excellent, even the season before that, though Casey never used him as a role man. I wanted him to play six man and just uh, handle the ball on high volume. So he was an excellent mid-range shooter, which meant that you had to cover him very closely. You could not let him come around the roll man, and, and stop and shoot. So if you have to cover him closely, that that opens up other guys, especially if, if the big doesn't get there in time. Somebody has to rotate, and that opens up a shooter, and Canard was decent at finding shooters. So if Cade can do that, great. I mean, it, it means you have to guard him that much more closely, more guys open, easier route to the basket, better at breaking down defenses. So I've been impressed at that. His three-point shooting has been up and down, uh, he's actually been shooting much better on pull-ups than on, on catch and shoots that needs to improve uh, defense. I think he's a work in progress, but that's the case for a lot of players. I think he'll get there because he's very smart. So uh, yeah, that's, that's my answer. And I, I agree with you, Tommy, that getting the right players around him is important Cade, because he's not a super athletic guy. And because a lot of his game is, is cerebral needs the right players around him. And that's not the case this season.
1: Yeah. So, I did not know that he had that type of uh that type of ups. You see that poster on Corey Kispert? Yeah.
0: Uh, I think it was on uh, on Gil. I almost just called him Hal Gil, uh, who is uh, tall. He's a dude, this former NHL player who was tall enough to play in the NHL, but nowhere near I swear fast it was enough. Kispert
1: because the, the notification I got was rookie on rookie crime.
0: Okay, it could have been it. Uh, whatever the case, yeah, th- that, was, uh, th- that was an impressive degree of athleticism. I think that's something that will really help Kate as, as, as we go forward. Uh, he's already a strong player. He has a lot of space on that frame to add muscle. And it, you add strength there, it's going to make defenses have to work that much harder to stop them on the way to the basket. And that means much more in the way of fouls and also just the ability to score there. So I, I think that you'll see him, as is the case with many handlers, come back much stronger in his sophomore season. Uh, all right. So what do you guys think you were wrong about coming into the season? Um, let's see. I thought that Isaiah Stewart was really going to establish himself as a strong starting center in the NBA uh, Tommy and I raved about uh, last season about how he just makes all of his teammates better with, uh, with all of the, with his hard work and all the things he does in the court. Uh, both of us, I think I can confidently speak for you. Obviously I can, because we both said it in this episode. Uh, don't feel like he can be a starting center in the NBA anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's uh, just, I, I think that last season masked a lot of his deficiencies. Uh, he was playing in sort against backup centers, uh, guys who weren't like just going to be able to score over him. He is, Somewhat helpless against guys who are taller and can jump higher. Whiteside, Gafford, a lot of guys. Uh, You know, even Jokic, who can just hold the ball uh, over his head. And uh, like the one, he's still a super hard worker. I think he'd be a good bench center, though he's not ideal to step into the starting lineup just because of the issues on defense. Though, aside from that, he's a very good defender. And on offense, of course, which we've spoken about quite a bit. Uh, the only situation in which I could see him being a viable starting center is if he is a very high percentage shooter from the uh, from the uh, from the perimeter, and you have a power forward who can really run the pick and roll at a high level, so that Stewart doesn't have to. Uh, you know, that way he can just space the floor on offense, maybe do some posting up, uh, but he won't be a guy who clogs the interior. He'll be a guy who provides decent value on offense. But you'd have to have a guy like John Collins, for example, uh, and there aren't very many power forwards like that. So I, I think he's a long-term bench center. Uh, what else? Uh, I got some. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go through mine very quickly. Uh, sure. I, was, I was hopeful for Killian Hayes. I was disabused of the notion that he had improved at Summer League, where he was terrible. Um, going down the list, uh, Tamadu, I had hopes that he had worked in a shot over the summer. I don't think he did. And that's about it
1: for me. Okay. Uh, I will start with Hamadou. I did not think he was going to be a good player. Mike, you were very high on him to begin with, high on his impact. Um, I still think that he's not a a starting two guard. And again, you said he needs to be a good shooter for that to happen. Uh, That's a big one. Um, I think it was decently spot on with Killian Hayes. Uh, I wanted him to come off the bench. I thought it was confidence issues. I thought he'd look better there. Uh, I think the biggest thing, probably for me, is some of the analysis i had on some of these draft guys um evan mobley's probably the biggest one i was not very high on him as an impact player i think a lot of that is the players that he plays around but again he's definitely uh, made that cleveland cavaliers team a lot better he plugs a lot of holes for them defensively finishes plays still an exceptional impact player uh i i think i laughed at the idea of him winning rookie of the year and now he's the front runner um Scotty Barnes, I did not like him. I still don't know that he's good enough for the type of role and usage that he's going to demand, uh, because of his archetype, but he had like a 28 point game a few nights ago, 16 rebounds. Clearly the dude is very, very good. And he's still very, very young. I did not like him coming into the season. Lance Caprosi of everything Pistons. He was a big fan. I went on their show and I was like, Nope, not Scotty Barnes. Good call there, Lance. Uh, I was higher on Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green. It's too early to say whether they're actually bad. Um, I think, especially with guards, you give them at least a couple seasons uh, or you're hoping for flashes. Uh, Like Cole Anthony, uh, he started off his rookie. His rookie year was not particularly good. And then this year he came along and he was actually getting like, he was in the all-star conversation as like a reserve or like a replacement pick. Like he was really good. So those guys, I mean, obviously they've had rough starts to their season, but you know, there's still things that they can do to pick up their career. So I, I mean, I know that we love the draft here, and we're definitely going to talk about the, that this summer. The draft is still a crapshoot. If you can get some of your picks right, that's great. We still love talking about it. Two of the guys I was right on, uh, Iota sumo and Bones Highland, both of those guys played in the Rising Stars uh, in our pre-draft episodes. I was huge fans of those guys. Wish we would have kept one of our or or acquired a late first rounder to pick up one of them. But yeah, no, I think for how much talk I I like to have about the draft, um, that would probably be my bigger mistakes.
0: Yeah, I would say Jalen Green, I, I was wrong about it. It is early, and you want to give guards time. I don't think highly of Jalen Green's basketball IQ, like not at <laughs> all. Uh, and that's something also, I mean, he has a certain mentality to him that I also don't like. And if it were just one of those things, I would say fine. And some of the mentality is going to be immaturity. But like I I felt like his swing skill was going to be passing, like his ability to make the right read and make the right pass, take advantage of the gravity he's going to attract, and also avoid taking bad shots. And I, this is early, but I have a very strong sense that he's not going to get there. So uh, Mobley, uh, the reason I wasn't interested in him is that I, I feel very strongly that the Pistons needed a lead handler and should really prioritize that. And I still yeah. believe that that was the case. He's in a good situation in Cleveland playing next to an all-star point guard, playing next to, you know, replacement all-star center, but who to frees him from needing to defend the interior against stronger players. He has been legitimately excellent on offense. Uh, he's, he's a player who just offers a lot off the score sheet. And this isn't a knock against Kate Cunningham. It's just that Mobley has been better in part. Mobley just had a much shorter distance to go in order to be a, an effective player. I mean, Kate had to put a lot more together and he's a handler on a worse team. Uh, as far. I wasn't, I don't think I was wrong about Scotty Barnes. I, I didn't disparage him. I just, I don't think he would have been a good player for the Pistons. I think, uh, you know, who knows if he can shoot, that's probable. all will player that, that remains his question mark. But you know, excellent team guy, excellent glue guy who has a lot to offer, just not baby hooks though. I'm sure you can do that. It was just, <laughs> he missed like four of them in the, uh, in the skills challenge, which is pretty funny.
1: Right. Uh, I think the Raptors is a great situation for him. And then going back yeah. to Jalen green, he's, he's at 31 point something percent on threes this season. I thought that was his swing skill. He started off the G league season shooting not super well, but that was the big thing. I think once he gets his three ball up and he's able to, uh, make the closeouts more honest. I think at that point, he'll be able to take advantage of the dunking that he actually can do uh, despite his showing at the dunk contest.
0: Oh God, that was ugly. It was incredibly ugly. That was like, that was the yeah, worst, that was, that was the worked, uh, that was worst really dunk rough. contest I've ever seen anything of. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Jalen Green, there are reasons for Pistons fans to dislike him uh, because of the stuff he had before <laughs> the season, uh, the stuff he said before the season. Uh, I thought it was funny. I don't remember who said this, but it's like, Oh yeah, I would pay to buy an NFT of, of Jalen green missing nine dunks in a row. So uh, I think the three could still come along. I just, I don't have uh, as much confidence in him being kind of that takeover score anymore. It's early, but I've, I've just a, a pretty, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's not going to get there. So
1: yeah. I'm still rooting for yeah. him. I mean, I think if he puts it together, he'll be a great player in this league and we don't have to feel insecure because Cade Cunningham is still, Gonna, he, I still think he'll be the best player from that draft class. I don't think anybody's going to be like, "Dang, we should have taken Jalen Green." I am not rooting for him to fail. I don't care that he said he doesn't like Detroit. That's okay.
0: I just I don't like him because he doesn't seem like a very good team player, and I think he's, he's a bit of a goofball. Yeah, he has improved in that capacity, but it's like most NBA players don't come in like with this this lacking in maturity. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll mature. A lot of players do, but still, I, I think that I don't think he's going to be that number one option. And uh, the, the reason I wanted him number two was because I felt like the Pistons really needed that. I had Jalen Suggs number three, uh, for the same reason. Also, I, I remain concerned about Mobley's injury history. Uh, all really, he all that has to happen. And this is I'm not wishing this on him by any means. I hope this doesn't happen. But gets a foot injury, which should be less of an issue at this point because he's very slight. But gets a foot injury, uh, gets a knee injury, gets a hip injury. Uh, just based on he has that frame of high hips and a great deal of mobility, while also being very tall, uh, that can cause problems uh, in the long term. Though so nothing like Zion. I mean, who's very different. I want to take some time because I find Zion to be offensive in the way that he carries himself. This guy was drafted first overall with great expectations to be a good player who gets to play, get paid a lot of money to play professional basketball, and he can't even be bothered to stay at a healthy weight. Uh, it's like, and and the guy seems to be a whiner who doesn't seem dedicated to the team, but it's Zion. What makes him special is his combination of bulk and great strength and incredible athleticism for the guy, his size, that combination of factors also means he, uh, he absolutely has to watch his health, his weight, his level of conditioning, if he's going to stay healthy. And I think even if he were to do that, he would, he would start having severe injury you know, starting significant and escalate into severe injury problems in his thirties just because the NBA is going to be hard on somebody's body. It's, a body of, it's hard on anybody's body, but particularly a guy like that. And you see guys like LeBron, for example, and Dwight Howard, uh, who just really forced into it, uh, swimming down in their 30s to take stress off their body. Zion cannot swim down past a certain point. So I, I think that his back would uh, would eventually become an issue, but also his lower body just from wear. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. <laughs> and one final thing. I don't want to toot my own horn, uh, but I feel mildly gratified at this. This is Christian. Wood. you mentioned him uh, earlier in the episode? I always had concerns about Christian Woods' mentality, not just from his, his earlier uh, about, uh, you know, his earlier struggles with maturity, but because he always seemed harsh toward his teammates on the floor when they made a mistake. And also when he was having a big game, his teammates did not really seem to be very excited. It was just these little things. And he's definitely had attitude issues in Houston. Um, but also it's just like, you know, the guy's no longer on the team. You It know, makes it a little easier to look at that and say, I guess it's not like, oh, I was right and good riddance. But yeah, I, I don't really know why I even found it necessary to bring this up. You're fine. I wish him well. <laughs>
1: yeah, I followed him a little bit since he's gone to Houston. His defense has really taken a step back. That was one of the things that I thought he could have improved. Maybe it's just Houston. Maybe it's just him. But yeah, if you want to finish off the segment of what were we wrong about, we can finish it off with this. I was probably wrong about Christian Wood's ceiling as a really, really good center? Yeah. I think it was t- a good question. It's fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's funny looking back. I, I still get a kick out of this, that in the 2020 offseason, like there are questions, you know, about the draft and whatnot. Uh, the the other two things that were really in our minds, Christian Wood's future with the Pistons uh, and Segui Dumboya, poor guy, got waived from the Lakers, <laughs> I think, for the, was it for the second time that they waived him? I think so.
1: I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always thought, I mean, my ever since he was traded from the Pistons, my supposition has been that there was just really something, an issue with him that we didn't know about. And, I mean, the guy on the surface, he's young, he's highly athletic. You'd think that all that needs to really happen is for him to be decent on defense, shoot threes and cut to the basket, to be an effective NBA player. But there seems to be something that teams really don't like about him. And uh, I'm curious what that is, though it's ultimately irrelevant where the Pistons are concerned.
1: Maybe he'll go to EuroLeague. We'll see him again in a few years. Yeah, who Dude knows? just was not ready.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Ed Stefanski, I think, had a positive impact on the Pistons as far as his influence on Gora. As a drafter, he did not do very well. Kyrie Thomas is out of the league. Seku's out of the league. Uh, Bruce Brown turned into a decent role player, but nothing more than that. And I don't remember whom else he drafted uh like brown and kyrie were in uh, jordan bone again it's a pick in the 50s that the pistons bought with cash but he was out of the league
1: pretty quickly too yeah so this also turned into uh what ways was ed stefanski wrong <laughs> uh, again, I
0: mean, this is a major A side. I, I think he was one of the one of, I think he was an important factor in getting through to Tom Gores and, and changing the way that, that Tom Gores had insisted that the team be run. So I'm saying that on the basis of nothing, but he's, he is uh, a long term professional in the NBA. And even from the beginning, uh, he was like, you know, he moved Reggie Bullock at the deadline. He said, we, we're not giving up assets at this point and it would be hard to keep him, so we're going to get rid of him now. Uh, we're going to try to get whatever return we can for him. And, uh, you know, Svi ended up being the guy uh the Pistons traded for Hamidou Diallo, which was nice. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe they could have made that trade with another player. But, and now Svi is on the Raptors, uh, which, and I completely stole this from a joke about Blake Griffin when he was drafted. Svi is on the Raptors, which is the perfect place for his T-Rex arms. Sorry, Svi, I just had to make the nice. joke. <laughs> Yeah, I still think the guy can be a good player in the league if he can recapture uh, a good role player. If he can recapture the shooting that he had uh, for the Pistons in 2019-2020 when he was one of the best shooters, uh, you know, one best three point shooters in the league. Uh, all right, folks, so that'll be it for this episode. Want to thank everybody who submitted questions, both on the Discord and on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter uh, to the Basket Pod. Uh, that's uh, the letters T O, not the numbers, or not the number rather. So as always, thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.